All right, again, if you need notes, there's some notes in the back if you'd like to follow along. Uh, we're continuing our series on training for godliness. Tonight we're going to be looking at perseverance. This is where we have been the past several weeks uh, and what we've talked about and what is to come. So uh, just a few more weeks left before we wrap up our series on training for godliness. Um, as we have been talking about things in our lives that we train for, the passage that we have looked at is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's going to be on the screen. It says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise in the present life, but also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And just as a reminder, I know we say this every week, of why we train because what can happen is if we think uh, these things that we do uh, are these, it's this holy to-do list. And if we do these things that we will earn favor with God and we can earn, you know, this spiritual maybe pat on the back that he can give to us. And we can slip into what a lot of people would refer to as legalism. Meaning you're doing it for the approval, you're doing it... Um, to earn something from God. And it's not anything that we can earn from God. Uh, but also, as a reminder, I think I said this a few weeks back, the gospel only requires repentance and faith. The gospel does not require obedience, right? Now, the gospel produces obedience in your life. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it should produce obedience in your life, but it's not something that... Um, we have to give to God in order to earn something from God. He's given us everything that we need already. Now, on the flip side of that coin, the opposite leads to laziness. It's like, uh, I've, been ex I've accepted the Lord. My sins are forgiven. I'm in. I don't have to do anything now. I can just skate by. If my sins are forgiven, I can live however I want. And therefore... That leads to laziness. So when we try to live in that way, it can lead to laziness. Uh, another thing that we've talked about every week is this of what this idea of godliness looks like. And Jerry Bridges says it really good in this book, Respectable Sins, in a definition of what ungodliness looks like. So the definition of ungodliness, he says, it can be defined as living one's life, everyday life, with little or no thought of God. Or of the God's will, or of God's glory, or of one's dependence on God. You can readily see then that someone can lead a respectable life and still be ungodly in the sense that God is essentially irrelevant in his or her life. That's what ungodliness looks like. We have no thought of God. We have no thought of God's will. We have no thought about the role that God wants to play in our life. And so, godliness would be considering God's will, would be considering what He wants for our life, would be considering what, his, what we need to do to give Him glory, 
and our dependence on him. So when I considered perseverance, it made me think of a movie uh, that I watched uh, a very long time ago called Dead Poet Society. You may have seen this movie. It's a very unique movie. Uh, it's a movie that came out in the 80s where Robin Williams plays a professor, uh, Professor Keating. And the film is set in the 1950s. And he's a teacher at Wel- Welton Academy. And he's trying to get this group of young men. He's teaching English or something like that. Anyway, but he's trying to get this group of young men to think outside of the box. To go against the status quo of what they believe. And so in the movie, in his very first class, in this movie, in his very first class, he walks through the class and goes in the, from his office out the back door. And he eventually, you know, they're all kind of looking around like, what is he doing? And then he goes, all right, y'all, come on. So everybody gets up and they go out in the hall. And as they go out into the hall, you see, in essence, a trophy case where you see uh, pictures of people who had gone to Welton Academy from the past. And he goes on to tell them, okay, so look at these guys. You probably walked by these pictures Hundreds of times before, and you've never really stopped to look at them. Look at them. What do you think these guys would be trying to tell you today as you are standing here? And he goes on. He has this little conversation with them. He goes, because here's the deal. See all these guys in these pictures? They're all gone. They died a long time ago. What would they say to you? And, of course, he has the very, very famous scene that we've probably all seen a clip from where he goes into carpe diem. He says, these guys would tell you to seize the day, to make your lives extraordinary, to do something beyond yourself. Because, as we talked about in Ecclesiastes, when Landon went through Ecclesiastes, our life is but a mist, or hebel, or smoke. It's here one moment, and it's gone the next. And um, so as we think about what that would look for us today, I think it still applies. Uh, I don't want to read it right now because we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12 in a little bit. But it talks about this great cloud of witnesses. These people who have gone before us. Men and women who lived in obedience to God and God's will. Heroes of our faith. And he writes this very vivid this very vivid imagery of these heavenly observers looking upon us while we're still running this race that God has set before us. You know, when I think about that passage, I just think of these, uh, all of these Old Testament, even these New Testament saints, so to speak. And they're sitting there and they're just like, cheering us on of what we could do in this life. And to think that there are people like that, that would cheer us on, that would say, seize the day, make your lives extraordinary. But as we think about persevering in this life, we should stop and consider the gospel, and that will ultimately drive us to uh, God, to start with God. So let's look at the character of God. Number one, God's work is perfect and His ways are just. His work is perfect and His ways are just. In Deuteronomy 32, it's on the screen, it says, The rock 
His work is perfect. For all of His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. And th- this is an amazing verse. And if you key in on the fact that look at the capital R in rock. Okay, this is talking about Yahweh, and it's saying His work is perfect. Everything that He has done, His ways are justice. In our world, um, there's a lot of disagreement about what justice is, what justice looks like. God is the one who gets to define what justice is. All of His ways are just. He is faithful. He's without iniquity. Just and upright, as this passage says. That's who he is. That's his character. All of his ways are perfect. You know, maybe we have a little bit of our timetable figured out. Maybe next week. Maybe we have some plans for what we're going to do in this next year. But in reality, we are, we are in the moment. The Bible tells us very specifically we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're here today and now. And we need to come to grips with the fact that we have a creator. (laughs) We're not him, right? But he's also a creator God who works. And his work is perfect. And his ways are just. That's who he is. Secondly, God has done or will do everything that he's promised to do. He has done or he will do everything that he has promised that he will do promise to do God has had a plan from the beginning from the beginning of time but it took time for his plan to unfold in our lives I think it's easy for us to not see God at work and just give up on him I think sometimes when we look around our uh, we look around and we think things aren't going the way they're supposed to go and maybe we Think to ourselves, well, I've asked God for this over and over and over and he still doesn't answer me. Uh, It doesn't happen. Well, that doesn't mean God isn't working. God is still working. His ways are perfect and just. But he's also faithful to do everything that he has promised to do. In uh, the book of Numbers, King Balak uh, hired Balaam to curse God's people. To bring harm upon God's people. And in their conversing, Balaam says this. God is not man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? You know, the very man hired to curse God's people. To pray down a curse upon God's people. And he says, hey... I got to do what he says. He's in charge. And his ways are just. He doesn't change his mind. He will do exactly what he says he's going to do. Everything that he has said he would do will come to pass. We can trust that. We can be sure of it. And we can know that because... We can know that because we can look back and look at what he has promised. And all how he's been faithful the entire time. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, and faithful, uh, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love uh, with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. You know, as we'll, we will see shortly, um, 
man will let us down. Human beings will let us down. Uh, we don't keep our promises. We do change our mind. We do lie. Uh, the Lord does not. And he said, if he said he will do something, he is faithful to do it. Well, let's look at the nature of sin. Because despite God's faithfulness, God's people are faithless. Where God is faithful, uh, where God can be trusted, we cannot. You can start in the book of Genesis and you work your way through the entire Bible and you will see this common theme all the way throughout the scriptures. God has been, God will be faithful to all generations. You will also find that God's people who even... In the very face of God being faithful to them, God being their deliverer, deliverer, God being their savior, that they will constantly turn their back on God. They will constantly do everything in their power to turn their back and to do things contrary to his will for their life. Um, open your Bible to Psalm chapter 78. Psalm 78. The writer of Psalm 78 is Asaph. Uh, when we think about God being who he said he is, who he said he would be, always, forever. And it shows, uh, in addition, how sinful we are. Kind of lays out God, the history of God's people over and over. And this is just a small section here in Psalm 78. Check this out. Starting in verse 5. It says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation who, let's get into it, Heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. Let's go back to what God has done. Performed wonders in the land of Egypt and in the land of Zon. He divided the sea and let them pass through it. Made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime he led them with a cloud. And all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness. And gave them drinks abundantly from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock. Caused waters to flow down like rivers. Verse 17. Yet they sinned still more even, against, even more against him. Rebelling against the most high in the desert. They tested God in their hearts by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock with the water so that the water gushed out and streams uh, overflowed. Can he give bread or provide meat for his people? And you can just continue to read. This is just a section. God has always been faithful. He will always be faithful. And we have always responded exactly the way this passage says. We aren't steadfast. 
We're not faithful. We do not keep his commandments. We refuse to walk in his statutes. We forget everything that he's done for us. We sin against him even more. He proved, even though he proved himself faithful. We test God. We make demands of God. We go so far as to speak against God. But luckily God was faithful to his ultimate plan to redeem his people. So let's look at the work of Jesus. And you can flip over to Hebrews. We're going to camp in Hebrews through this whole section. All the way to Hebrews. Let's camp out there. Let's look at the work of Jesus. Jesus is our faithful high priest. Jesus is our faithful high priest. In God's perfect plan, in God's perfect time, Jesus the Son was to become a member of the human race. Because only a perfect and sinless human being could act as a mediator between God and man. There was no man that could approach God for all are born in sin. Even when the high priest in the Old Testament would come before God to offer a sin, uh, a sin for the nations. The, the high priest would first have to atone for his own, his own sins. He would have to make a sacrifice for his own sins before he could go in and make a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. Because, just like you and just like me, he was a sinner. All are under the curse of death. And only a sinless member of the human race could be qualified to be to act as this high priest for human beings. And that high priest was Jesus. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, um, verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus was fully God, came to the world as a human to be fully human. He was not uh, separate from that. He was fully God and fully human at the same time to be able to make the sacrifice for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus is the faith. He was faithful in his duties before the Father. And where we disobeyed, he faithfully obeyed. He was our faithful high priest. And because of his faithfulness, he was able to go before the Father on our account. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 2 says, Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, meaning God, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Moses showed uh, an amazing faithfulness throughout his life. Amazing faithfulness. But Moses was still a sinner. We know that because he was not allowed to go into the promised land uh, because of his disobedience. But Jesus showed a perfect faithfulness even greater than that of Moses. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6 says this, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed, here's where we're at, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Moses was a faithful servant. He was. 
But he was never called a son like Jesus is. Jesus is the greater Moses. We see this picture when Moses is mentioned in John chapter 3 verse 14. When it says Moses, uh, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is pointing straight to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And in the same way that God's people uh, were spared death in the wilderness by looking upon the snake that Moses raised up in in the wilderness. In the same way, those who look to Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross and put their faith and trust in him, they are spared ultimately death from sin. Not death physically on this earth, but the second death. The second death meaning uh, that we enter into punishment for our sins. And so Moses was that faithful servant, but he was not called Jesus' son because he was a sinner. And we are a part of Jesus' household if we, as the text says here, hold fast. And the writer of Hebrews here is encouraging those who felt like turning back to hold on, to hold fast, to persevere, to endure all the things that they were going through by explaining the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus was fully God. He became fully man to be our representative to God for those who would put their faith and trust in him for salvation. He was our great high priest. Next, Jesus faced temptation and faithfully obeyed. He faced temptation and faithfully obeyed. Where we had failed, Jesus was obedient. He was faithful. Um, Look at Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. I think it's on the screen. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, Landon and I sat down as we were, I was looking through these notes and um, we were talking about this passage. And he made a comment to me that I had never really considered before. It really stuck with me. When I think about temptation, it usually ends with at some point along the way, uh, me falling into that temptation. Uh, if I ha- don't immediately, it's, I have probably before. But I've fallen into that sin because I'm weak, I'm tempted, I, I fall for it. The temptation that Jesus faced is so much greater than we could ever imagine. And let me explain what I mean. He was tempted in the same manner that we are, yet without sin. I think that passage has a whole lot more weight to it than we really want to comprehend. He was tempted just like you and I, yes. But when we fail, he was faithful. So think about the great temptation, the greater the temptation that would be for someone who did not fall for it, who did not enter into that sin. He never gave in. He never failed. He never stopped trusting the Father. He never stopped believing the Father's promises like we have. He fully obeyed, but as the scripture says, without sinning. And so what was his mission? His mission was to endure the cross. Jesus endured the cross. 
Now we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. I told you we would read this passage. So you can flip over a few pages to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, a sin which clings so closely, and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author and the founder, I like uh, as another um, interpretation of the Bible says, perfecter of our faith. He perfects our faith. Uh, it was his joy to endure the cross. He gladly took your sin, he gladly took my sin, and he paid the penalty for that sin uh, that was required from the Father. He didn't quit. He didn't stop. He was faithful to it. He persevered. He endured. And it was his joy. He is our suffering servant, as Isaiah says. In Isaiah 53, uh, 1 through 3, it says, He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And why? Because of his great love for us. He endured. Because he was doing the will of the Father. Look at Isaiah 53 verse 10. It's on the screen. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. But shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul. He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant. Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He had a mission. He had a plan. And he had to persevere and endure in that plan uh, to make a way for us to be with the Father again. And he persevered until it was accomplished. He endured. Uh, next point, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, God's one and only Son. Uh, Hebrews 13.8 tells us that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just like God the Father, He will do everything that He said He would do. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. We are to hang on to that faith. Whether it's faith in Jesus or believe, believing for a promise that is found in God's word. We are encouraged to hold on to these things. And not let go of those things when the going gets tough. And we can because he who promised is faithful. He will do exactly what he said he would do. And let's look at the Holy Spirit's role in this. Uh, first thing, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to endure even in the midst of suffering. You know, I enjoy going to preteen camp with, my, with the kids. Uh, this year, I was very blessed to have both of my kiddos go to preteen camp. 
my wife thoroughly enjoyed three days away from us. Uh, one reason I get to go to preteen camp is I have a CDL license. And uh, uh, just as a warning for you, if you do not want to go to preteen camp, do not get your CDL license because you will be asked to go. Um, one of my favorite parts about preteen camp, though, absolutely, is getting to watch the kiddos climb the rock wall. And one of the reasons why I like to watch the kids climb the rock wall is because um, there's probably about 20% of the kids that have zero problem climbing the rock wall. You put the little harness on them, the people get them set right up, no big deal, zip down the zip line, and it's great. You had another 10% who get about three feet off the ground, which is maybe two steps, and they're like, nah, this is not for me. Three feet is too high. Uh, get me down. And they come down, and it's no big deal. Now, you will have about 60 to 70% who will get two-thirds of the way up the, up the rock wall, climbing wall, and they just stop. You can see their little hands are shaking and their feet are shaking. And it's not that they're scared. They are exhausted. Some of them have done nothing but watch TV all summer. And they are physically spent. They're done. And they're like, I can't do it. One of the cool things that I like these, uh, they have some really good trained people that do this all summer. And so what they will do is they say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take the weight off of your arms and legs. And so they grab the rope, they do this little thing, and they kind of lean back on it. And they said, just hold on with your hands, let go of your, with your feet. Just completely get off the rock wall, just hold on with your hands, that way you don't get pulled off of the rock wall. And the kids do, and they just sit there for about 20 to 30 seconds, and then they're good. It's amazing. A little 30-second break to rest their arms and their legs, they get right back on the, on the wall and go right up. It's, a, it's, it's great. Um, I have found that I have much more patience with other people's kids than I do with my own. Go figure. But it's amazing to watch them after just a little bit of rest, after just a little bit of hanging on, how much easier it is for them to climb that rock wall as soon as they're done. Uh, flip over to Romans chapter 5. Because when someone puts their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, it says the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of them. It's a gift. And it gives us peace in the storm. It gives us strength to endure when times get tough, when life gets tough. We're going to talk about this a little bit on Sunday as we see the psalmist in, in Psalm 119 come to the low part of the psalm. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. Of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope 
does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, few realities of things that take place in this passage. First of all, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. A once hostile relationship with a holy, holy, holy God is now peaceful. We've been given peace with God through Jesus Christ. And what was accomplished by Jesus? We have hope. Since we can have hope, we can even rejoice in the middle of suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, produces character, and it gives us hope. And how do we know that? Because of the love that we experience through the Holy Spirit. It's been poured into our hearts. And because of that love, because of that knowing that the Holy Spirit is with us, knowing that God is with us, He will do exactly as He says He would do. He says, we have hope. We can endure. We can persevere because of what Jesus has accomplished. Uh, next, it says, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We can be certain of it. If you've ever purchased a home, uh, Sometimes the housing market gets a little crazy in Odessa. And if you're looking to buy a home, and they may ask you for what's called earnest money. And what earnest money is, is in essence, it's a down payment on the home. A down payment in which if you back out of the agreement to buy that home, you do not get the earnest money back. It's like a per As soon as you make an earnest money payment to them to hold the house for you, it says that, the house goes officially off the market. Now, if you don't uh, end up taking the house, you lose that earnest money and it's gone. But it's a saying, this is mine. This house is mine. I'm making the payment. I'm making the first payment on this home and it's mine. And it's kind of what happens here with the, in essence, it's an initial payment. Us having the Holy Spirit, it's an initial of what's to come. In the age to come. It's a sign of what is to come. It's what God has done in our life. Ephesians chapter 1. It's on the screen. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So until we get uh, the promised life that God promises those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's saying, here, this is proof. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to seal you with the Holy Spirit. And someday you get to go into his kingdom. And it's saying, until that takes place, we are to continue in this life because we know we are guaranteed an inheritance. And we know that because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, uh, that it's true. God is faithful to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And although we have not seen our 
total redemption that God has in store for us, with the Holy Spirit, we have a guarantee of what's to come. It's a guarantee of what's to come. God has personally pledged it by marking those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. And with both of these passages, I don't want you to miss the Trinitarian language in both of these passages. Because you get God the Father, who we were once enemies with, but Jesus the Son doing a redemptive work in us so that we could be made right with the Father and that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So in both of these, both of these passages, it gives us hope to persevere. Father, uh, you know, it's the promise of the Father. It's the work of the Son. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. They all give us hope to persevere and face whatever comes our way. So let's, let's wrap it up this evening by training to persevere. Let's look at what we need to do to train to persevere. First of all, the certainty of our salvation doesn't give us a pass to be spiritually lazy. I know we kind of mentioned this earlier when we talked about legalism versus laziness. But just because you know you have Jesus Christ, it does not give you uh, a free pass to be lazy. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what has taken place in that moment is our sins were imputed into Jesus and His righteousness was imputed into us. It doesn't mean, and y'all hear me on this, it does not mean that you do not struggle in this life. It doesn't. We're going to struggle. We're going to have trials in our life. It doesn't mean that we won't have difficulties in this world. Romans 6. Uh, flip over to Romans 6 right quick. Because what can happen if we're not careful, uh, and I know we mention this every week, I don't want to, uh, we don't want to get caught up in doing quote-unquote stuff and slip, slip into that legalism. But I also don't want you to think, well, I'm in and I'm good, so I, I, I don't have to do anything else. Uh, the certainty of our salvation doesn't give us a free pass to be lazy. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 15. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? It says, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teachings to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading into more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Living out your new identity in Jesus Christ involves a daily sacrifice. Take up your cross and follow me. It's a daily offering of ourselves to God in righteousness. Paul tells the believers uh, of their past. You were, used to be a slave to sin. He says, but now you are to be a slave to righteousness. 
And this is a call to action. I don't want you to get caught up in the actions thinking that you earn something from God. God has done that work in your life already. It's, you can't earn that. But it does call us to action. It's a call against being lazy. To persevere. This act of sanctification. The process of becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. It does not just happen. I, I wish it did. I, I really do wish it did. I wish all I needed to do was sit in church on Sunday and listen to Landon. And sit in my Sunday school class and, and listen to Chris. And I'm good. I wish that was it. But it's not. There's so much more to the Christian life than just that. I mean, there's so much more in growing in righteousness. And to become more and more like Jesus, it takes effort. It takes work. It takes persevering. It takes enduring. Uh, next, we must rid our lives of anything that prevents us from running with, from running with endurance. Now, just as a side note... Uh, as a staff, we're reading this book called A Long Obedience by Eugene Peterson. And I just want to give him the credit because a lot of what I'm about to say is straight out of his book because it's really good. Perseverance does not mean perfection. Okay? It doesn't mean perfection. It means we keep going. It means we don't quit when we find we are not as mature as we thought we were and we mess up means we keep going. means we don't. Um, it means continuing when you realize that the road in front of you is long. And even through those difficulties, we endure. We press on. We continue to go. Uh, remember from uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Since we were surrounded by such a great cloud, cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Um, I want you to key in on the fact that it says, lay aside every weight, comma, and sin which clings so closely. We must run with endurance. When I think about a race, uh, usually it's spectating a race, but when I think about a race... As a Christian, you are a part of a race. Uh, from the moment of your salvation, the pistol fires. Boom! We start running this race that God has set before us. And the race is not complete until we breathe our last breath and we enter into eternity. And if you want to endure, if you want to persevere in this race, we have to rid ourselves Look at that word again. Of anything that prevents us from running the race. And those things, those anythings might not be sin. They might be sin. And you need to get rid of those things too. But don't miss the fact that sometimes those things that we need to get rid of are not sin. They might be something that's very good for someone else, but it's just bad for you. It could be uh, a habit. It could be a pleasure. It could be a hobby. It could be an event. It could be entertainment. We must take those types of things and toss them aside and run the race that God has set before us. Anything that keeps us from enduring 
we're to get rid of them. Next, perseverance requires a focus on Jesus. Requires a focus on Jesus. Again, look at verse 2 uh, that we just read. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We need to deliberately lift our eyes from the distracting things and put our focus on Jesus. Because of his great example that he has given to us. Because of the life that he lived. Uh, the sinless life. Because of the, his death on the cross. Paying for our penalty. He persevered. He accomplished the race that was set before him. You know, I th- when I think about this, I think about Peter walking on water. And he, he asked Jesus, if that's really you, ask me to come out to you. He says, come on. Jesus gets out of the boat. He's walking on water. He's keeping his eyes, his gaze fixed on Jesus. And as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he puts it on the waves in front of him, he begins to sink. Now, we listen to that story, but don't miss the fact that Peter walked on water. I couldn't even walk down the river last Wednesday down Tanglewood if I tried to, right? I couldn't. But here, Peter's walking on water. And as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. And that's the same way with us. Philippians chapter 3 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If we're going to persevere, we have to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Looking to Jesus, our greatest example, straining forward uh, to accomplish what he has for us in this life. Uh, lastly, perseverance. This is a quote from Kent Hughes. Perse- perseverance has nothing to do with your giftedness, but everything to do with your heart. And I just want to end again with this uh, a section from the Disciplines book from Kent Hughes uh, because it's just good. He, he says this, and I'm paraphrasing most of it, but he says something like this. We each have a specific race mapped out before us. The course for each runner is unique. Its uniqueness is determined by God. Your race is like no one else's. It is marked for you where you are. Regardless if you're a student, regardless if you're single, regardless if you're married, regardless if you're working, regardless if you stay home. Some, some races are relatively straight. Some races are all turns. Some seem all uphill. Some are a flat hiking path. They are not equal. Let me just say that again. They are not equal. All races are long. Some races are longer. But the glory is, each of us, no exceptions, zero exceptions to this, can finish the race that is set before us. I may not be able to run your race. You may not be able to run my race. But I can finish my race and you can finish yours. But it takes perseverance. And we can finish well if we choose to rely on him for our strength. Jesus for our strength and for him to be our guide. Which is why Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. He has given us everything that we need to persevere. Everything that we need to persevere. Everything that we need to endure. To run the race. To finish the, to finish the race. And I pray that no matter what life throws our way. We will stay the course. We will persevere in what God has for us. And there's going to be hard days. There's going to be easy days. But we still rely on Him. The author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray tonight. God we thank you that. You are sovereign and in control of our lives. Father, I pray that in the same way that we uh, have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we would look to your promises and that we would uh, trust you every step of the way. In the darkest of days, in the hardest of days, in the most heartbreaking of days, in the easiest of days, Father, I pray that we would trust you. You would give us the strength to persevere. You would give us your wisdom to do your will. And that, Father, no matter what this world throws our way, that we can depend on you uh, to help us to run our race with perseverance, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And, Father, I pray that in all of it, you would get the glory for how we live, the things that we say. And, Father, use us for your kingdom's purpose. Help us to persevere. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.